Welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. My name's Colby, and I'm a music producer and product manager. And I'm Carter, a writer and PhD student in the English department at the University of Kentucky. And today, we are doing a book review on Harmut Rosa's Resonance, and we're also going to spend a little bit of time talking about his previous book, Alienation and Acceleration. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. There are two works of social theory that have been really influential in my thinking, and resonance is definitely going to play a big part in my dissertation. And so this is fun for me to talk to you about, Colby, and just kind of share with you. But I also think that it's one of those ideas that can span so many different disciplines. And because it is, you know, uh, Mm. he's a sociologist, right? He's, He's thinking about, right, these big social, imaginary, cultural, social phenomena, and they apply to the artist as they apply to everyone. So I'm going to jump right in with Alienation and Acceleration. And for both of these books, I'm this is like 30,000 foot spark note condensed. I'm, I'm leaving out a lot. And so I'll preface it with that. I'm leaving out a sure. lot. I think Resonance is I think it's like 600 pages or something like that. Like there, there's a lot in there. But the main idea with Alienation and Acceleration, which is a short, I think, 90-page book, is that the defining feature that's propelling modernity is speed. Everything's getting faster. Everything's forced to get faster. We measure success with how quickly things can get accomplished. Is it efficient? Is it productive? How quickly can we realize this goal? And Rosa talks about acceleration as this broad idea that is not only in the business world, it's also in our daily lives. So can we meet people? Can we do things? Can we do recreational? You know, should I be on a soccer team in a kickball league? And I also need to be taking an art class and going to school at night and working a side hustle. <laughs> There's this kind of over-prevailing social force of you need to try to fit as much as possible in a smaller amount of time. And so acceleration, we can think about in some ways, is trying to increase the amount of content per unit of time. And so what Rosa says is this leads to alienation. We start feeling alienated from the world. So you can think about this as, let's just say, burnout, right? We looked around, the things that used to have meaning for us seem dull, they seem kind of sterile. The world, and this is something that Rosa says uh, in resonance, seems silent, It's not speaking to us. And so alienation is the product of this acceleration. Now, one of the examples, I think this is a helpful example of acceleration, is technology is interlaced with it. So an example that Rosa gives is the email. So before the email, right, snail mail, you got to write out your letter, you got to put your stamp on it. It's going to take a couple of days to get where it's going. We come up with the email and we're like, oh, This is great. I can send a letter in a shorter amount of time. This is going to be awesome. I'm not going to have to go to the post office. I'm not going to have to wait to hear back. This is going to take all that time that I was spending with my correspondences, and it's going to 
save time. And what am I going to do with all that great time? You know, oh, this is great. It's an innovation, a technological innovation that saves time. Now, what Rosa says is it's done exactly the opposite. You now have tons and tons of emails, and you actually spend more time with your emails now than you would have spent using snail mail and writing actual full correspondences. And so he talks about how the intended time saver actually speeds things up again, and more things Mm. get compressed, and now you feel, oh man, I need to respond to this person's text, or they're going to think that I'm ignoring them. Right Then all of a sudden there's this pressure now of, oh, if I don't have a quick response to this, well, just that feeling itself, the idea that I'm obliged to respond quickly, he's like, look, this was designed to save time, but the speed of things is, one, making things worse in this way. It's taking more time. But the big thing is that it's affecting our relationship with the world. So fast fashion would be another example. Instead of having a piece of clothing, let's say, that you develop a relationship with, because we do that, right? We've got favorite jackets, we've got favorite shoes, and in some ways, right, they become part of us. So we have uniforms, you know, we've talked about that even before, developing your personal uniform. We have, we have things that we build a relationship with. We go on hikes with them. We, we see them in pictures, right? And so what Rosa, you know, one of the points of comparison would be fast fashion, which says, no, your style needs to constantly be getting innovated, this starts to manifest the idea of acceleration. So now you need new stuff. You need new tops. You need new pants. You need new shoes. There's a whole industry, and I just heard it mentioned on podcast, about how much stuff just gets thrown out and actually exported outside of the country, into landfills, all this clothes that people wear for a couple of weeks, and then they ditch it, right? And so not everything goes to goodwill. They don't want everything. Uh, mm-hmm. If you bring it back to a H&M or something, right, they're not going to put it back on the shelf. They got to get rid of it. And so this stuff has yeah. an awful effect of all this waste. And so what Rosa says is, look, this is the main kind of a catalyst for modernity, the idea that things have to get faster, and this is not producing more meaningful lives. All right, so I threw a lot at you there. Before we hit to resonance, throw, throw some questions yeah. out. Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is how this connects to creativity and creators, you know, and it's like the pressure to get on this content treadmill is a big one, I think. You know, it's now a song a month, a song a week. We just talked about this on their uh, interview with Cole, you know, about putting out a song a week which is a great way to build an audience and connect and really exciting. But it's then this treadmill you have to get on if you're a YouTuber, Instagrammer, whatever, where you just have to keep putting out more and more and more stuff rather than the traditional, like in the past, it's been like you kind of retreat, you make an album or you work on this bigger body of work and then you come back out with it. You know, it's like there's something, is there, is there something lost in the single world that we live in? We're kind of in like the singles and like the, dub, the double singles where you put out like that two track or you yeah. have like the sped up version or the acoustic version or whatever. That's kind of the era we're in right now. Whereas it used to be the LP world, you know? And you actually probably had to go in, to the record store and thumb through the vinyls and bring it home. And so 
I, you know, it's not just like, there's so many good things that come along with all of these advances too, of course. And I'm sure he acknowledges that, but it's, it's definitely something where like in the creative space, there's a pressure that happens to create so much more so consistently, which can lead to burnout, you know? Yeah. That's such a great observation. And one of the things that Rosa talks about is, you know, this being a problem that we feel like we have to get faster in order to keep up. Like that's like that's one of the central mm. ideas that he applies to economics. He applies to right large scale social issues of if your business feels like it has to get faster and more efficient and eclipse what it did last year in order just to stay relevant. He's like we're incentivizing more speed, right? We're incentivizing it to go faster and faster and bigger and bigger, with the idea that unless we do that, we're going to get left behind. And so it's interesting to think about right, that. Right. Create, you know, creatively. Like if I'm not putting out, you know, a, a song this month, I'm just gonna, you know, am I gonna get lost in all this noise? You know, do people? You know, mm. what do I need to do just to keep up with? Is kind of an interesting creative question. Yeah, and it ties in completely to the ideas we've talked about with uh, our book review on Deep Work by Cal Newport. It feels like he's read Rosa before because. He talks so much about the, so in his book, Deep Work and A World Without Email, which we've talked about both of those, like he talks about these ideas of how fast paced the world is becoming and how you, you can give into this pressure. It's not always actually faster because you're like, I really thought it was interesting. The idea about the, how email says it's going to save us this time, but then it just basically replaced a bunch of time that we would have sent waiting for a letter sitting in our inbox and sifting through response and trying to get to inbox zero. And like Newport talks a lot about that same idea that he calls it the hyperactive hive mind where you are working with these uh, instant messaging platforms like Slack or Discord or whatever it is in your day-to-day work. And so you're a message away. Maybe you're a knowledge worker working remotely. You're a message away from your boss or your coworkers and you just constantly get sucked into like, oh, let me just respond real quick. And you have 50 of those conversations every day. It gets faster and faster and faster. And you don't have time to really like get into the deep work and the, the stuff that really matters and slow down and think and create, revise, you know. I just I just feel like this topic is I'm all over it because it's something that I always feel. And um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't necessarily throw a question in there for you, but I just think that those are some things that came to mind. That's a super. That's a super turn towards the creative. Yeah, that's perfect, Cole. So let's let's kind of pivot here because resonance is where you know we maybe want to spend our most time on this episode. But I think that's important setup. Rosa really takes alienation as the exigence or the the problem that he wants to address with resonance. So if we've got this culture and this socioeconomic acceleration happening, and we feel alienated. The question becomes, what's the opposite of being burned out? (laughs) What does that look like? And so Rosa says, well, one of the wrong answers is that you need more resources. And so he actually calls this resource fetishism in that if I could get a better job, if I could get just get this, you know, this this problem, this alienation would would dissolve. And he basically says, okay, well, this is just misguided because we can easily imagine two scenarios, and I forget the names that he says in the beginning of the book. Two women, one gets up, goes to the gym, 
you know, has a fulfilling workout, gets excited for the day, you know, showers, gets a meal, goes to work, engages with people, laughing with others, finding a deep source of purpose and helping others at her work, comes home, takes the kids to their, let's say, takes the kids to, to soccer and enjoys watching them grow and play. And he says, we can easily imagine the exact same circumstances in someone else dragging themselves to the gym and loathing having to work out, right? And, and going to the same job and feeling like it's crushing them and going home and feeling like bringing their children to a soccer thing is drudgery and it's, it's superficial and they're tired and they just want to be away. And so Rosa basically says, we can easily imagine people with the similar circumstances responding to the world differently. And so he goes through a a more kind of complicated series of examples, but he gets to the point where he's basically showing and trying to to articulate that it's not just a problem of situation always. There's an approach to the world that matters. And so for him, resonance, and one of the key metaphors he gives, is when the wire between ourselves and the world is vibrating. There's a connection there. And so what's helpful is, I think, to see how it could go silent on either end. So on one end, we could find ourselves projecting onto the world, right? So this would be the instrumental way to approach the world. You know, we've got our vision of how things should be. We're quantifying everything. We are taking the world and we're going to get everybody out of our way. We're going to you know, move everything around. We're going to control outcomes, and we impose ourselves on the world. And when that happens, Rosa says, okay, well, the wire is vibrating on your end, but it's silent. And this is going to lead to reification, which, you know, this is going to lead to a silent relationship with the world because you've muted it with your own voice. And he said, in the same way, if we are just totally passive, and the world is just going and hitting us, and we're not responding to the world, then the wire's not vibrating, right? We're getting onslaughted by all this overdeterminate mm. stuff that's happening to us, but we're not interacting with the world, right? We can feel overwhelmed in this way, and that we don't have a place. We can't relate to the world. It's, it's out there and, and speaking, but it doesn't touch us. And so resonance for Rosa among so many kind of beautiful scaffolded ideas here, is when we get to the point where we're pushing up against the world, like we're mediating the world, we're changing the world, and the world, our situation, our environment, is also mediating us. It's affecting how we understand the world. It's changing us. It influences us. And so Rosa talks about how you know a resonant relationship is one that's reciprocal. And so this is when, right, there's a give and take and the wire is vibrating. And so the world's not this sterile place, and it's a place where we create. We create, and we create within a series of restraints and constraints, right? And we see what's there. And this, you know, it reminds me of that. There's a line from Heidegger where he talks about the true craftsman, the true cabinet maker. He works within the constraints of the wood. Like the wood itself, the material, informs his design. And so there's a way in which he creates the true cabinet, and it outlines and it highlights the essence of the wood. And so I think this is a very similar idea in that there's a way to approach things 
which we don't just impose ourselves on them, but we bring out the material, right? We bring out the world that we're given, uh, and it's part of this kind of dialogical process where we're speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is, on the one hand, you have a relationship. We all have this relationship to the world around us. There's like a string between us and the world, and that string can vibrate. And on the one side, we can be like, this is how I want the world to be. I want to make this much money. I want to have this kind of relationships and I want to drive this car and I want to do all this stuff. And you go out there and try to make it happen. And it's like either like you get pushback from the world because you can't just force reality to bend to your will. And then on the flip side, you can you can have all these things happening to you in your life. Like the world side of the string is vibrating and you're like, you're being passive. You're laying there. You're not actually taking responsibility and doing things. And so you're being more of the, you're more of a victim in that scenario or more of a being sort of pushed around by the world and you're not. And then there's a version where you're, you are not just accepting everything that's happening, but you're, you're dancing kind of, yeah. you know, you're moving with the things that happen and you're connecting uh, what you want, but then you're, you're open to sort of reacting to what the world pushes back on in a way that makes things flow better. Oh, absolutely. That's a that's a great summary. And dancing is a really helpful example. Uh, can I throw out another practical example that may just help solidify? Yeah, that would definitely yeah. help me. So, sure. you know, I'm thinking about it in my project in terms of environmental, environmental philosophy. Okay. And so we can see there's a problem when we are mismanaging land. So we're treating nature mm-hmm. as an object, as just resources that we want to extract, right? So environmental thought has been very acute on that, right? We go, we destroy a mountain, we pull out all the coal out of it, right? Because we're just extracting. We're, we're treating it as if it's just an object, as if it's just stuff. And that's when the wire on our end's vibrating, but it's paying no attention to the other side of the wire. So that's the instrumental approach. Mm. Now, what Rosa says, this is so cool, he goes, well, we realized, right, that was a problem, and we realized that this led to us feeling alienated. So we tried to create these oases, these places in nature that are untouched, that we can find resonance, because he says, even when we're alienated, we want we want to feel a meaningful relationship with the world. Like, we're trying to get resonant. And so he says, well, what happens is we started creating these oases, but then what, what happens with that is all of a sudden we're saying, oh, come here, get your resonance, buy a ticket, get a flight, plan a trip, hire a tour guide. And then all of a sudden we start building all these things around the oasis where we wanted to just go get resonance, and then it becomes... Mm reified too. It becomes made out of uh, the the abstract and treated just like an object. And so the problem happens is when we go completely passive and we just want to show up in nature, then we just become kind of like the tourist who never really interacts with the environment. And then when we don't interact with the environment, we just kind of project everything that we think about it onto it. And it doesn't speak to us. Sure. We just have ideas of what nature should be like and what the oasis should be like. So it's interesting because he says it's it's you know it's kind of ironic that we're trying to make an oasis. We just want to get resonance, but by doing so, mm-hmm. like we start to treat it instrumentally, and we never get to that point with the oasis. The oasis is the other side. We're not vibrating; just the world. 
And so when that happens, like there's no meaningful dance, there's no meaningful interaction. You know, you never stub your toe on anything and have to get forced to kind of move this rock out of your way to lay your your sleeping bag down, right? You don't interact hmm. with it at all. And so in that point, that's also not resonance. And so it's about trying to, and he talks about kind of the larger socioeconomic things that have to happen, but the main idea, and this might be a good place to kind of to pivot, is resonance is a relationship with the world where both ends are talking. And I think that's got a lot of implications to kind of the creative process. Yeah, could we try to dig into that? What does it look like to have, let's just go straight to the positive. Like what does it look like to have that dance where the wire is vibrating between me or maybe let's say between you and the writing process? Like what does it look like where there's a, you know, connection on both ends there? And is that a, is that a good example or a good place to take it, I guess? Yeah, well, I think that art, and, and, and Rosa talks about art, and there's a lot of, there's a big kind of genealogy of theorists that he engages. But art, think about that song. You're driving, it's sunset, the right song comes on, and there's this moment where you're here, you're, you know, you're walking in the park or you're driving or whatever, maybe... You know, you're, you're with someone that you love. The song comes on and we, we immediately, go, what do we say? We're like, we're transported. There's something that happens in that moment that gets suspended. You know, we experience this deep sense of meaning through that song. Like we're always talking about, like, especially us on the craft, what that is. Like, I think Rosa would point and say, oh, look, this is a moment of resonance where you and the world don't seem to be divorced, but art actually plays a part of helping us to recognize the world. And so I think in kind of the big picture yeah. way, the craft, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to craft and create art. And art, I think, is one of the main ways that we experience resonance in the world. And he has a really nice, I'm forgetting, like a horizontal resonance with others, a vertical resonance with a higher idea or God. And so he goes a diagonal resonance with kind of the environment material. I may not be getting those quite right, but he talks about how we can have resonant with different things. And one of them, you know, one of those kind of axes in some ways, art offers us that. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. It actually reminds me one more thing that I'm really excited about. I just read this book called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen, who is a professor at the Harvard Business School uh, in the MBA program, I believe. And I believe he passed away a few years ago, but he's super well known for a couple key ideas. He wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. He came up with this idea of jobs to be done, which is super popular in marketing. And anyways, I won't go into more, but this book, he talks about strategy. And he says like, when you have a strategy, you are you start with a deliberate plan, which is like, this is what I want the world to look like and what I'm going to do to make it that way. And then you go, you execute that plan and then things change. The weather changes, something comes up, you hit a problem or a roadblock and then, or you see a new opportunity that you hadn't thought about in your deliberate plan. And that's called emergent plan. So then you have this emergent idea of, oh, let's shift this way. Let's do this other thing. Oh, I got this new opportunity. I'm going to go do that. And that's where you don't want to just have this rigidness to your plan or strategy. You need to pivot with what changes, but you need both. You need the deliberate, which is kind of in in the same way I'm picturing that as like the uh, instrumental view here, like the 
this is how I want the world to work. And then the, the world pushes back and you say, oh, no, that's the emergent. Oh, this is changing. And you have to have both of those. That's Both are both part of a strategy. You can't just make a plan and make no changes to it. But you can't also just play it by ear because that isn't strategy. That isn't planning. So, Dude, that's so good. I don't know. It's a very similar idea. Yeah, I mean, that is a totally similar idea. And I, I really like the way that you've explained that. And I think it, it is trying to, you know, one of the big projects, and I think this is, has some implications for the creative process. Rosa talks about, you know, some phenomenology, and we've, we've briefly discussed this, but, you know, basically whenever we find ourselves in the world, we're always already alongside the world. Like we're already in a network of values and people and conversations. There's no time in our lives that the world whether it be the bed that you lay on, the coffee that you drink, the people you see on your commute are not there and influencing you. So the idea that we have like this mind that just gets to plan stuff and it's somehow divorced from the body and the world, you know, this is something that the phenomenologists are like, no, like Descartes was wrong. We're not like this body-mind dualism. Like we're always, our very consciousness is always Mm -hmm. mediated by what's going on. And being in the world, as kind of Heidegger would say. And so I think it, it, for, for creatives, it's really interesting because I think the approach to art that tries to recognize where you are in the world is like one of the great things that the artist brings. Like for me, the artist is always in some ways taking something and revealing it to us in a new way. We're like, oh, I've never seen it that way before. I've, you know... Or, or maybe let's pivot to music. Sometimes a song gives you something that you felt, but you didn't know how to say it, right? And so I think mm-hmm. in that way, sometimes art is the process of bringing us back to recognizing where we are in the world. And so as an artist, I think we're always having to kind of evaluate and reevaluate how we're approaching the world and what we're seeing. I don't know, does any of that kind of like stick to you or is there an experience that you've had that's like, oh, I don't know why, but this song just seems to bottle up something that I didn't have words for? Yeah, there's definitely been those moments, you know, the sunset, the music, the experience and that resonance, that idea resonates with me, no pun intended. It's it's uh, It's bringing the question to mind for me, like, as an, as an artist, can I make a song and not really feel a resonance or a excitement mm-hmm. or passion or something, or just kind of feel like, ah, I don't really know if this song's that great. And then put it up on Spotify and then all these people hear it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is hitting or this makes so much sense. You know what I'm saying? Like if I don't feel that resonance, can someone else feel that in my art? Because I know, you know, that kind of goes into like writer's block or Hmm. the idea that, you know, inspiration is for amateurs and you just have to sit down and do the work. It's like, do I have to feel like this art is really impactful to me in order for someone else to feel that? What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think first, Rosa does, if I'm recalling correctly, talks about resonance being not an emotional thing. So maybe I've been a bit misleading on giving Mm, our examples. I do think you would say, you know, that moment when you're dancing to music, right? And and something is something's happening there that you're resonant with the world. But resonance is not just like this 
hyper-emotive thing. It doesn't have to manifest itself like that, nor can we like constantly be in resonance. <laughs> like we can't just be like, I'm in the resonance state always, right? This is just not how we can, we just not like that. But it's a, it's a super interesting question, what you just asked. Can you make art that you're not responding to that other people respond to? Yeah. I would say probably, yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's two sides. I think there's the really kind of pernicious side, the counterfeit. We just want a big hit, right? We're going to play something that we know is maybe not our best stuff, but this is what's going to sell the most records, or this is what's going to be most popular. And maybe it's something that, or even this is going to sell the most uh, whatever, your slogan, right? We want a catchy jingle. We want something that it's not designed to get people into resonance, or it's not designed for someone to get encountered, but it's designed to kind of invoke a response. And at that point, I'm fine Carter is fine being like, okay, you're probably not doing art. If we go back to Joyce's, his um, art, the pornographic and the didactic. If we go back to that idea, like you're you're in the realm of like trying mm-hmm. to get someone to do something. You know, you're showing the Big Mac on the screen, so someone goes and buys that, right? This is you're not trying to create something that brings someone into relationship with the world, so where the line is between art and advertisement, right? I mean, that's something we've talked about before, but, you know, if you're not trying, I don't know, is it a matter of intention? Is it a matter of, of how it comes off? I don't know. I'll throw I'll throw that back to you, but those are some things that are coming to my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that there's, uh, it's possible to create something and to not really feel it and then have the f- other people just think differently about it. And you have the opposite happen where, you think, oh, this is going to be the hit, <laughs> yeah. and people don't like it at all. And so I think just because you feel it doesn't mean others will either. But it's just, it's an interesting question. Yeah, where do you want to take this next? What other thoughts did you have on either resonance or alienation and acceleration? I think these ideas are really, really interesting. I want to kind of sit on them and sift in them. Well, I like, the way, I like where you brought us to of like creative block because I was thinking about this in regards to our fourth creative principle, sustain. I feel like when when Mm -hmm. we hit creative block, sometimes it's like the world's not speaking to us. I think that would be a pretty accurate way to say that. And so if the world's not speaking to us, what do we do? Right? I think that's an interesting question. I can say more on that. Do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think you just, there's, so how do you diagnose writer's block in a way? Like almost have like a diagnosis here. It's like, okay, I'm not feeling inspired it's been really hard to sit down and work the ideas are coming really are taking really long time to develop or they're just not coming to me at all you know if you're in that scenario and i'm just coming to you like how do you diagnose that because because it could be on my end there's something kind of blocking me internally or it could be can it be on the world side or something you know it's actually interesting because i was just listening to a podcast with cal newport and he said a lot of people, whenever they, he's like, it might be that a lot of people who sit down to write, that feeling they get when it's like hard to write and they don't feel like it's easy, that's what a lot of people think writer's block is, <laughs> which is basically the feeling of writing because totally. <laughs> it's hard. Totally. And I heard that and I was like, dang, like maybe writer's block sometimes for me is just like laziness. Like it's like, yeah, it's hard. You sit down and you don't know what you're going to do and you have to do something and push through it. It's like going to the gym sometimes. 
I, I don't know if that, that's a ramble, but it just came to mind. Yeah. Well, I need to play that for my freshman classes. This is not writer's block. It's just writing. I think that's great. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think you were right to even say, you almost have to diagnose it. Is this me like approaching the world as sterile? So I'm speaking a lot and I'm not listening. So my end is vibrating and I'm not giving any space to receiving. Or is it something where I'm not pressing up against the world? And so I feel like it doesn't have anything to say because I'm not encountering it. Like I'm being overwhelmed by that other side. It's vibrating and I'm not. So I think this may actually provide a heuristic of like, how do you diagnose that? Because maybe mm-hmm. that could be helpful. You're like, okay, is it me? I've been talking too much and I'm not listening? Or is it the problem that I've listened and I haven't pushed back against anything? Yeah, that's a really well said because what in my head that already makes me think probably nine out of 10 times for me personally, writer's block means I'm not creating enough. So it means I'm not, like even if I'm not hit with a huge inspirational idea, I could write a song about this lamp, you know, and it might not be something I'd want to share, but it's like, there's a, there's an endless amount of information coming in every single day, you know, in the world around me, locally on the internet. And you can just, you can just take any kernel of an idea and say, I'm going to do a 15 minute creative exercise where I'm going to write a page about this watch. I'm going to write a page about the pens on my desk. Like, any tiny thing in your environment can be an opportunity. I feel like it's rare for you to be on the side of like, oh, I've just made so many things. I don't know what's, and nothing's connecting with the world. That definitely happens. Like you have mm-hmm. the story of the the New York Times cartoonist who's putting a hundred submissions in and getting like two accepted where you're pushing a lot, but that isn't giving you the opportunities. But for me personally, it's definitely rare that I'm just cranking out too much and I need to sit and listen more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I need I need to listen, but I need to create. Like I need to take action. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta gotta I think it also relates to I think that's well said. It also relates to our conversations about going out and living, doing stuff. Like Yeah, yeah. Like you've gotta I mean, you've gotta kinda scrape your knee before I don't know. But yeah, there's there's got to be an encounter where you are where there's tension. I mean that's that's where the growth happens, that's where things change. And I think a lot of maybe even our modern moment, one of the things I love about art and the artistic process and the craft is it requires you to pay attention to the small details, those overdeterminate things that you just talked about that are there but our minds ignore them, right? The, the little curve in the Coke can that I haven't noticed until right now, right? That small curve that's there that our mind glosses over, mm. but then we become aware of it. And it's always been there. It's not like it just appeared. Like, it's always been there, but it's when we can recognize it, then all of a sudden, right, the world in that way, we're encountering it. And so I think part of the cool thing about the artistic process is getting really good at noticing. Like, I I know tons of novelists have talked about this, right? Becoming great. I mean, it's more than people watchers. It's world watchers. And that we, you know, pay it. What are those Mm -hmm. things that are these, 
details is too shallow, but it's the things that are there that I'm overlooking because those are the things that I think yes. snap people sometimes of like, oh, that's always been there. But I didn't spend the time sitting down and thinking about this one emotion. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the lyricist, right? The songwriter sits and dwells on this one emotion, let's say, then gives voice to it. And then I recognize it immediately as something that I've experienced, but I didn't have a voice to give it. And so I think that's the cool way in which um, like part of the artistic process requires us to become really good listeners and observers of the world in a way that's not passive, but like pressing up against it, that's encountering it, mm-hmm. that's noticing, and then responding. Rosa's always talking about like, yeah, taking notes, actively. Yeah, listening. it's reciprocal. Like whenever the conversation stops on one end, you're going to have a problem. Oh, that's so well said, man. There's a million details and opportunities for us to be inspired around. But but the challenge definitely comes whenever you, like you said, you could be the the woman who's going to work really excited or really frustrated and discouraged. And so the idea that we can have that the same reality and wake up with a million pieces of inspiration around us and we can either feel inspired or we can feel really discouraged or sad or whatever emotion clouds us. And so it's, it feels helpful one to have this heuristic now of like, okay, which end of the cord is not vibrating. And then the two, it's just, it's helpful to acknowledge that sometimes that we can, well, that we can strive to listen and engage with ideas. It just might be harder, I think, to get past that initial writer's block, but the opportunities are there. Yeah. Because I think that sometimes, even if we're in a state where like we're not inspired, we're not motivated, we have to, sometimes you do have to jumpstart yourself. You have to say, you know what? I'm not inspired, but I'm going to write a song about this lamp and it's going to suck and I'm going to throw it away. But I'm going to force myself to do that. Like we talked about on the previous interview with Cole again. We talked about the idea of turning the tap water on. And at first it's this old house you haven't been writing in a long time and then the water comes out and it's kind of dirty. But then over time, you write another song and another song. You throw those out and then you start seeing the clear water and it's kind of clean. And that's that's sometimes, we, you know, with writer's block, we're going to have to push through that. But the last thing I'll say, because I kind of am rambling, is I always am encouraged whenever you just tell me like, you know, if I'm feeling like I haven't created enough, just that reminder that it is okay to step back and to just live your life and wait. And sometimes you need that break because we are living in this world that's going faster and faster and faster. Sometimes it's okay to push back on that and say, I'm, I'm going to step out of the rat race and I'm going to take a break and I don't need to create content. I don't need to post every day. I don't need a story. I'm just stepping back. I'm going to read. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to listen. I'm going to go take walks and enjoy the sunset, drink coffee, see friends. And maybe you do need time. You know, for someone out there, maybe there is a time to step back and say, I'm going to take a break. I just know that whenever you've told me in the past, it's like been a breath of fresh air when I needed it. It's okay to do that. You know? Dude, I really like this. And I think there's a super strong connection with what you just made with the water kind of faucet. I think when, mm-hmm. let's say you're responding to a bunch of emails, like you're functioning in a world that requires a instrumental approach, right? You have to decide. This email is more important than this one. I have to treat it as to-do lists that are just tasks, right? So, like, I have to be instrumental with it 
or, you know, people are going to be pretty upset that I had not responded to their emails. So there, you're in this kind of habit of instrumental, instrumental. And then when you turn to do your work, like that's not how, that's not how it works, right? That's not how poems are written. That's not how, right, songs are made within that instrumental approach. And so it's almost like you got to filter out all of that, I don't know, that habit of mind or that place you're in. And, and let's, I actually think this is, this is kind of close to resonance. You have to work yourself out of that relationship with the world that's really focused on organizing, putting things in their place. And you have to like work your way out of that, get out of that kind of framework or get out of that approach. I'm trying, I'm searching for a metaphor here into a different approach. And like, that's not just like a light bulb that flicks on. Like that's an actual like physical, right? There's a turn that has to happen of like, okay, I can't relate to Mm. a poem like an email. This is a different thing. It requires a different relationship with the world. So sometimes I just got to sit down at the desk and work myself out of that one way of approaching things into another way. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and again, this one's a little more stuffy, a little more in the academic realm. But here's the thing. I think we can approach this in a lot of ways. We've talked about mental models before. I just want to give this to anyone kind of listening of it's just another heuristic device in understanding how to interpret the world, right? Maybe you think about that. Maybe you see something and you're like, oh man, that wants me to just be faster. Or, or maybe you kind, of, you, you kind of recognize what that would feel like and it may just give you a language, right? Maybe it just gives you a language to think about what, is, what does resonance look like in my life what would that, you know, are there times in my life that have been that way? Who were the people there? What was going on there? Maybe it just becomes a nice reflective tool. But regardless, these are interesting ideas, and I think they're helpful in shaping the way we approach the world. And as creatives, right, that's our, we're always approaching the world. I think it's a great mental model to have. I'm excited to see where it kind of pops up in my life. Thanks for sharing, man. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.